Thank you for listening to BLC Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. How many of you know that thankfulness completes the miracle? There's a story in the Bible, not a story, it's actually a true account of 10 lepers who who was healed by Jesus. Can you remember that story? And then, um, now I don't want to get all graphic on you, but when you have leprosy, some of your um, parts of your body eventually falls off and so on, you know? And, um, And so 10 of them were healed and one of them returned to Jesus um, as he sent them to the priest to go and verify their, their healing that they were cleansed because they were, needed to be verified by the priest before they can interact with, with other people. Otherwise, they would get infected. And so the one guy realized he was healed. He turned around, he went to thank Jesus. And the Bible says, because he thanked Jesus, he was fully restored. So the other nine, what happened to them? They got healed. So the, the decay stopped and... The disease stopped, but if they have lost an ear or a nose, uh, they had to go the rest of their lives without a nose. Okay? So, um, I always make a bit of fun. I don't know if it's allowed, if it's legal here, but, you know, if you lose a nose, you know, you've got a really open mind, you know? People can read your thoughts as well. (laughs) But, but... (laughs) But there's one fellow that returned to Jesus to thank him, received a complete miracle just because of gratefulness. And when I realized that, it was about a year or two ago, Katinka and I were sitting and in our, because we're in the ministry, but we have some business interests and we're like, oh, things are not really moving. And he said, start thanking me for the small miracles because the small miracle is, is, is the first token of that I wanna do a bigger miracle or complete miracle in your life. But I need you to partner with me. And the moment you begin to thank me, you release the full miracle in your life. Isn't that good? And that's not even what I want to preach on, but I'm just so thankful to be here this morning. I'm just so honored because I'm really fond of this house and we think of Breakthrough Life with high regard. Pastor John is just one of my personal mentors in the last two years. He's really just walked with me in a very personal way and guided us through certain transitions in our lives. And, and we're just so honored to be here and thankful to the leadership. And I've got two words to share with you, one this morning and one this evening that I believe will change your life. Two different words. Okay, so if you here this morning, you didn't plan on coming tonight, I checked out there's really no good eight o'clock movie on tonight. There's no good rugby on. And if there's cricket, it's not gonna be good anyway. So <laughs> I, I'm gonna talk tonight about the power to create wealth. And I believe it is a message that will change your life if you hear it. In 40 minutes, I believe I will give you a download from, from God's heart, His wealth plan for your life that will change your life. But I want to give away this book this morning. Is there anybody that had their birthday today? Any birthdays today? Or let's rewind a little. No, no birthdays yesterday. Is it Charles? Who's Charles? <laughs> What's your name, sir? David. David, can you... Please, can we give David a round? And happy birthday to you yesterday, man. But this morning, I want to talk about something else called fearless courage. And um, I believe this is a prophetic message to every South African, especially South Africans, every parent, every business owner, 
every person living in South Africa, because we need courage. How many of you know that most of us know what the right thing is to do in our lives, but we lack the courage sometimes to do it? I remember about 18 months ago, I was very discouraged and more so in, in, in the ministry at the time and leadership stuff. And, and before that, I always thought that the gift of encouragement is like a soft gift. It's like for the softies. It's like very goofy. Now you've got your, your profound gifts like prophecy and, and the apostles and the evangelists. And then those who haven't received some of the grandiose gifts received the gift of encouragement. I'm just being very honest. Until I needed encouragement myself. And God began to speak to me about encouragement and, and the power of courage. You know that the word encouragement in, in the Greek is parakaleo, which is the same word for Holy Spirit, which is the same word for prophecy. And parakaleo means someone, someone who knows you up close and personal, that when you are accused in the court of law will stand up at your defense and say, hey, I know Johnny. And when the enemy accuses you and say you're not a good enough father and you're not a good enough husband and you're not a good enough employer or employee or you're not a good enough Christian, Holy Spirit is the one that comes and he says, hey, your honor, I know Johnny. I can vouch for his character that he's trying his best, that he's giving his all, that to the, to the best of his ability and his knowledge, he's trying to be a good father and a, and a faithful husband, and to his best of his ability, he's trying his best to serve you. How many of you need an encourager like that? Because we know that there's the accuser of the brethren, right? And sometimes he's also the accuser of the sisterin. But I found that mostly he's the accuser of the brethren. <laughs> and when he accuses us, we need a parakaleia. We need an encourager. Be it in the form of the Holy Spirit himself, of him, or him represented through a brother or a sister that says, I, I can vouch for you. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Reminding us of who we are in God. And so... A couple of weeks later in that time when God began to speak to me, I ended up at the Kingdom Come conference. It was, wasn't this year, it was last year. And just to learn that, that Pastor Bill couldn't make it for family reasons and that Banning was, Liebscher was, was, was kind of his replacement for some of the sessions. Um, last minute change. And here Banning speaks in his opening message is encouragement. Can you remember that? And I was like, I know God didn't make Bill's wife sick for my sake, but he orchestrated this whole thing so I can hear this message. And I promise you, Banning's message exploded in my heart about courage and encouragement. And this morning, I wanna to speak to you a little bit about Gideon, because earlier this year, God said to me, I must write this book. I was speaking at a men's conference on courage and on the story of Gideon. God said, write a book. And I promise you, within four days, I wrote down the book and it got edited within one week and then my laptop crashed. My hard drive, we lost the book. Within another two days, we recovered the book, a PDF version, re-edited it twice. And a friend of mine that I last saw in matric contacted me via Facebook. He's like a professional artist and designer. Like his paintings sell all over the world for hundreds of, 
and he said, can I design a cover for you? Like, I've never heard of this guy for the last 24 years. I know I'm aging myself here, but... And suddenly he designed this, which I thought is like a world-class little cover design. You should have seen the ones we did ourselves. It looked terrible. (laughs) Within two weeks, we wrote the book, edited it, lost it, recovered it, re-edited it, got a world-class, and released the book. And it's already been an encouragement to thousands of people. Now, I want to bring a message this morning on courage for you. And if you would just follow these verses with me in Judges 6, verse 1 to 3, and then we're going to, well, 1 to 6, actually. It says, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midianite for seven years. And the hand of Midianite prevailed over or against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and the strongholds which were in the mountains. And then... Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep or ox or donkey, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now this paints a very bleak image, true or not. And I've just listed what, what actually happened there, if it's on the screen. The present realities of Israel at the time was this. They were subject to the Midianite enemies, The enemy prevailed over them. They dwelled in undesired situations. They dwelled in caves and dens in the mountains. Now, how many of you know that you don't want to be dwelling in a cave and a den? I find that oftentimes when we're under siege from the enemy, we start dwelling in undesired places within ourselves, within our homes. Many of us as men, we start dwelling on the TV couch. We, we kind of zone out, you know, that kind of nothing box and, and we zone out. And there's times that we need to zone out as men to kind of recollect ourselves. But when we begin to dwell permanently in that nothing box, in that zoned out space, we begin to dwell in unnatural spaces because of the pressures around us. And when we dwell in those caves, guess what happens to our children and our wife? They freak out because they don't know what to do. Not only did they dwell in unnatural spaces, um, They were surrounded by the enemy. There was a complete destruction of their harvest. The the national economy was crippled. They were greatly impoverished. There was no provisions left. And they started working in undesired places, which is in the following verse where it says, Gideon was grinding weed in a wine press. Now, I don't know about you, but grinding weed in a wine press is not a clever thing to do. Because remember, the wheat press or the wheat grind was up on the hill where there was a lot of wind, so that when you would take, you grind the, the, the wheat, and then you would take the, the wheat and the chaff, and you would cast it into there, and then the wind would blow away the chaff, so the grain would fall. That's how you would normally grind. But there's wind. But the wine press was in the valley where there's no wind. There's not one wind in the wine press. And so here Gideon is hiding in the wine press, throwing up the grain and the chaff together. And, and if there's no wind that blows away the chaff, all the chaff comes down and it falls into your neck and it begins to irritate you. And it's a very uncomfortable and unnatural space to be working in. And I find that many of us are so under pressure, either in our businesses or in our places of work. Many people haven't received increases. And all of these things happen. And there's a lot of stress on our workplace because we're dwelling in undesired places and we're working in undesired places. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It sounds like South Africa. It sounds like our country. If you would turn to someone you love and say, he's talking to us now. (laughs) He's talking about us. 
But then God steps in. In the midst of all of this, God steps in. And he sees Gideon threshing weed in a wine press. And, and let's pick it up on verse 12. It says, and the angel, capital letter of the Lord. So it means it's the Lord himself. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. Can you say mighty man of fearless courage? Let's say it like this. I'm a mighty one of fearless courage. So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. God comes and the moment he, he, he encounters Gideon, he says, you're a mighty man of fearless courage. And Gideon turns around and he says, you must be talking to someone behind me. Because last time I checked, my tribe is the least in Israel. My clan is the least in the tribe. My family is the least in the clan and I'm the least in my father's household. The message put it like this, I am the brunt of the litter. And, and this book deals with 12 breakthroughs that Gideon, that was activated within Gideon's heart that caused him to become victorious. And I'm gonna just speak about four of them today that, that I believe will really help us break through into fearless courage because you and I need courage to be alive in South Africa right now. We need a lot of courage. We need to live with great courage. And the first breakthrough is a breakthrough in identity. The voice that I listen to will determine my identity. The dominant voice in my life forges my identity. Gideon had heard all his life, you're the least in the house, which is the least in the family, which is the least in the clan, which is the least in the tribe, which is the least in Israel. So Gideon, you are the brunt of the litter. He has been preconditioned that he's the brunt of the litter because that was the voice that he was listening to all his life. His cultural orientation has told him that there's nothing great about him. How many of you know that Adam and Eve's identity was established by the voice of God? God said, Adam, you are created in my image and likeness. This is your identity. And they lived in that glorious liberty of being a son and a daughter of God in the Garden of Eden. And then Eve started to listen to another voice. And the moment she started listening to another voice, there was a change in identity. Did God really say you are like him? And the moment the voice of the serpent became the dominant voice in her life, she began to question her own identity. And the moment we question our identity, we're gonna try and do something to fill the gap. Because the voice of the deceiver will always introduce a counterfeit identity to us, a counterfeit sense of worth and value. And for that counterfeit sense of worth and value, I always need to consume something. I need to consume that fruit to make me feel better. I need that new bucky, or I need that new pair of jeans, or I, need, I, I just need to consume something to feel better about me. But it's a deception. Because your true identity is that you are a son and a daughter of God created in the image of God. 
And so here's Gideon threading weed in a, in a wine press, trying to hide away from the Midianites, thinking he's the brunt of the litter. And the first word that comes out of God's mouth is you're a mighty man of fearless courage. No, Gideon, I'm not gonna remind you of the worst possible version of yourself. Gideon, I'm gonna remind you of the best possible version of yourself. Gideon, you must understand that when my voice comes to you, it's gonna call forth not version 001 of you, but version 0010 of you. And God's voice calls forth a new identity in Gideon that says you're a mighty one of fearless courage. Friends, we need to hear God's voice calling forth the best possible version of ourselves. I found one thing. Religion has a way of reminding us how bad we are. True or not? Religion has a way of reminding us about everything that is wrong with us. But I've also found that there's a father whose voice keeps on reminding me of what is right with me. I know there's a father whose voice calls forth the best that's within me and say, come on, man, you're a mighty young man. I feel this courage. I feel young. I'm 41. I'm a little bit gray, but I still feel very young. And if Jesus needed to hear Father's voice breaking through the heavens, saying, this is my beloved son, and I'm proud of him, how much more do we need to hear Father's voice today calling forth our true identity? I find it interesting that, that most of the great leaders in the Bible, or many of them experienced identity crises. When God said to Moses, I wanna call you to deliver Israel, he says, but who am I? And God says, it's not about who you are, it's about the I am that goes with you. Amen. That's your identity. Jacob was a supplanter, he was a deceiver. Before he could really step into his destiny in God, he needed to change his identity from being a deceiver to becoming Israel, the prince, the one who prevailed. The same with Simon. You know, Simon means skew nose. Don't look at your neighbor, please. Simon means skew nose or, 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 or a broken reed. And Jesus says, you're no longer am I gonna be a skew nose or a broken reed. I'm calling you Peter, the rock. I'm making you rock solid. I'm giving you a new identity. Saul had to become Paul. Abram had to become Abraham. So all of these great leaders had this identity crisis. I find this thing in life, in my own life, and with people I counsel and mentor, is that before we can step into greater influence, most of the time we go through identity crisis. Because to operate in a higher level of authority demands a higher level of identity. You know the saying, every level's got its own devil, but I wanna say every level's got a new level of identity that we need to operate in. And so maybe you have gone through a little bit of an identity crisis of late. Maybe the fact that your business has been struggling or there's been strain at home in relationships or you just lost maybe some of your confidence, your self-confidence. Maybe you think it's just you and that's what the devil wants you to think. He wants to isolate you and thinking that it's just you going through stuff. But I wanna encourage you this morning. You have gone or you are going through an identity crisis because God is busy upgrading your identity for a new level, a new level of authority. You see, what happens in the wine press 
In the wine press, pressure is applied on these grapes to unleash the full potential of those grapes. And how many of us like wine? Are we allowed to? Is that legal to say in church? Sorry, sorry. Confession time. <laughs> you said I have the freedom of the house. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but the potential of the, of the grapes will never be unleashed until, until the pressure is applied in the wine press, right? We also know the wine speakers, speaks of the Holy Spirit. There was someone else in the Bible that operated in the press. It was Jesus, not in the wine press, in the oil press. Gethsemane means oil press. And when Jesus prayed the night before he was betrayed and then he subsequently crucified, he was in this oil press called Gethsemane. It's amazing if you visit Israel and Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane is still there. And some of those trees they reckon are older than 2,000 years. They're still there. I was there, I saw them, you touched them. And you realize it was, one of the, at, it was at one of these trees that Jesus most probably bowed, kneeled down and prayed. But he was in this oil press and under so much pressure in his soul that the Bible says that he started to sweat blood. He was so ready to give his life for us, that his body started to give and shed the blood even before he was crucified. Because it's in that place of pressure where the oil is extracted, where the anointing on your life is extracted. So welcome to the oil press. Welcome to the wine press. If you've been under pressure, can I just see by a show of hands because I just wanna see if I'm preaching to the right crowd. How many of you have under, been under a little bit of pressure of late? Okay, I'm preaching to the right crowd. Wonderful to know. God is saying to you, you're a mighty one of fearless courage. Can you say this? I'm a mighty one of fearless courage. And my identity is derived from the voice of my father. The second breakthrough that's activated in, in Gideon that links up with identity is responsibility. In verse 13, it says, and Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our father has told us, saying, did, you not, did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? It sounds almost like Gideon is blaming God. It sounds like he's complaining, complaining, but he's actually not. Gideon is saying this, and this is so profound. Gideon is saying, Lord, if you are saying you are with me, because that's what God is saying, I am with you, mighty man of fearless courage. So you said, God said, I'm with you. And Gideon turns around and he says, Lord, if you say you are with me, then where are you among our nation?" And I wanna see you move in our nation. And I wanna see you move in my generation. And it's not blaming God, but it's holding God to his word and owning the responsibility to see God move in his nation and in his generation. And that's what we did when we prayed just now. We said, Lord, we are contending that you would not just touch us this morning in this service, that we would not, would not only be us experiencing your presence, but that you would flood our nation with revival, that you would flood our economy, that you would flood the, the farms with rain, that, that you would touch our entire generation. And that's what we're doing. We are taking ownership to see God move in our nation. 
You know why David was a man after God's heart? Not because he was a worshiper. I think that counted for something. But in, in, in Acts 13, it says, God found David to be a man after his heart and then qualifies why. He said, because he was willing to do all of God's will in his generation. And later on in chapter 13 of Acts, it says, because he served his generation with the will and the purposes of God. What will make us a people after the heart of God is when we take ownership to see the will of God and the purposes of God and the kingdom of God come in our generation and in our nation. And so Gideon owns up to see God move in his nation. You see, the difference is that we will complain and blame. That's, that's our alternative. And unfortunately, as believers, it is so easy to, to succumb to the culture around us, which is really a culture of complaining. South Africans have a culture of complaining. We can complain about everything. <laughs> and fair enough, we probably have a lot to complain of. But remember, we can't be thankful and grateful on one hand and complaining on the other side because it counters one another. I think it's Joyce Meyer that says, if you complain, you remain. But if you praise, you get raised. I've got my own saying, if you blame, you remain. But if you grow up or own up, you will grow up. You see, Israel's 40 years in the wilderness that should have taken them 14 days, but because of their complaining and their blaming, they remain in the wilderness for 40 years, going around the same mountain when she comes. <laughs> for 40 years. And Solomon goes and he writes and he says, ish, he writes it three times. He goes like, Married to a complaining wife, being married to a complaining wife is like a dripping tap. It's like tap it. <laughs> but I was just want to say, for, I know many complaining husbands as well, so I'm going to make this gender, gender neutral. Is it all right? In my version, King Solomon is saying, being married to a complaining spouse is like being married to a dripping tap. Then, he writes later, by that time he's probably married another 300 wives and porcupines or cocubines, whatever, something. Okay. So, so he goes, he goes, okay. He says, he says, being married to a complaining spouse is like being on an open roof in the rain. It's like not one ripple. From, from, from the tap, but it's like, it's like rain now on your head. It's like, I'd rather live outside the house than inside the house. And then later, and he, he, he's probably, have now married a thousand of those things, okay? <laughs> and he goes, being married to a complaining spouse is like dwelling in the wilderness with no roof covering, no house, no nothing. I'd rather dwell in the wilderness than with a complaining spouse. And the word he used there for complaining is the, the, the Hebrew word midbar, which, listen, means this. Speech that drives you in circles back into the wilderness. Speech that drives you back into the wilderness. Israel was driven for 40 years in circles in the wilderness because of their speech of complaining and blaming. That's why Solomon says it's better to live in the wilderness without her because then you can get out. But if you're married to someone who complains, that's not an excuse to get divorced. It's an excuse to change our lives if we're complaining, okay? 
If you complain and blame, you remain, but when you own up, you grow up. And, and Gideon comes and he owns up the responsibility and he says, Lord, will you not move in our nation? Where are you? And this is what God says to you. He says, now Gideon, go in this, your might. God doesn't answer Gideon. All he says to Gideon is, the fact that you have now owned up the responsibility to see me move in your nation authorizes you, gives you might, authority. It authorizes you to go and make a difference. You see, whenever I own up, whenever I take responsibility, authority comes with it. You can never separate responsibility and authority. Those of you who manage or are owners of business, you know you cannot give an employee responsibility and not authorize him to execute that responsibility. It's just a basic management principle. Because whatever and whoever we blame, we give power over our lives. Adam blamed Eve and gave her undue power over his life. That's why most men today still run to Eve for validation. Funny, but true. And Eve went, she said, it's not me, Lord, it's the serpent that you created. And we know the, the, the serpent didn't point a finger because he had no fingers to point, okay? He also didn't have a leg to stand on, right? But the devil was happy to receive the blame because with the responsibility, he received authority over mankind. Whoever you blame, you give power to over your life. You blame the government, you give the government undue power over your life. Be it the old or the new government, doesn't matter. We blame the apartheid government for what happened many years ago. We keep on blaming him. We keep on giving them power and authority over life to still govern us in ways long after they're gone. And I say no. I say no government deserves any inch more power and authority over my life than God instituted them to have. So I will never blame them. I will never complain. But I will own up my responsibility to see God move in my generation. Amen. Because God is calling me. Thank you. A mighty man of fearless courage. Go in this your might. What is your might? What is your authority? Your authority is in what you take responsibility for. The third breakthrough that I want to share on that Gideon had that day was a breakthrough of vision. It says in verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It takes Gideon 22 verses to realize he's encountering God. He only perceives he's encountering God after 22 verses. You see that line there? How many of you read, when, you, when, when it came on the screen, how many of you read, God is nowhere? Just be honest. Okay. How many of you read, God is now here? Okay. This is like a revelation. For 22 verses, Gideon goes on and he even complains in a certain sense. He says, God is nowhere to be seen in our nation. God is nowhere to be seen in my generation. I can't see God in my reality. And suddenly in verse 22, his eyes opened up and he says, but God is now here. And that is the difference between those who live with courage and those who live actually with cowardice. 
the courage and the faith to see, it doesn't matter how my bank balance looks, doesn't matter how my company looks, doesn't matter how the political landscape or the economic landscape of our nation looks, God is now here. Same reality, different perspective, different perception. And his vision changes. You and I need a breakthrough in vision. That wherever you go, Monday morning when you go to work, expect to see God being now there in your business, in your workplace. When there's so much strife at home and, you know, the, 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 the cat bites the kids or the kids bite the cat, I don't know how it works. God is, one, God is here, he's there. But we can live as if he's not. And when we live as if it's not, that would be our reality. Because the world is ruled by our perception of reality. And God is inviting us to open our eyes to see him. And I don't have much time, but I just wanna encourage you with the last breakthrough that Gideon had this morning. He had a breakthrough in intelligence. Just turn to someone you love and say, you better, get a, you better upgrade your intelligence. <laughs> That's a good one, eh? That's a good one. Just Judges 7, next chapter, verse 10 to 14. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the, tank, the camp, okay? So I'm not gonna read all of it. Let me tell the story. So, God is saying to Gideon, listen, Gideon, I'm here to encourage you. I'm calling you a mighty man of fearless courage, okay? You've now, your eyes have opened. You've seen that you've encountered God, okay? All of these things, many other breakthroughs happen up to that point. And then God goes and he says to Gideon, listen, if you still don't have the courage to attack the Midianites, go and listen to what they say about you behind your back. Because when you hear what the enemy says about you behind your back, Gideon, you will be encouraged. I know the devil is a liar. He will always be a liar. But if we could hear what he's saying about us behind our back, thinking that we're not hearing, but we're hearing him, we'll actually be encouraged. You'll not be encouraged by what he says to you. I know he's a liar. But when we can hear what the devil says to his troops, Behind our backs about us, we'll be greatly encouraged. And God is saying to Gideon, go and listen. Go and listen what they say about you. And so they listen. And here's these two soldiers. And the one says to the other, I had this dream, man. It's this big barley loaf of bread that came down. It fell on our tent and completely destroyed this tent. The other soldier goes, I know exactly what this means. Suddenly he becomes a dream interpreter. Like becomes Joseph. He says, I know exactly what it means. It is the hand of Gideon and the hand of the God of Israel that comes against and it will wipe out the complete camp of the Midianite army. They're prophesying against themselves. And listen here, the enemy's camp starts to self-destruct. They go into a panic, rumor spread. And God uses, listen, God uses a barley loaf of bread as a WOMD, a weapon of mass destruction. He doesn't even use a barley loaf of bread. Listen, he uses a dream of a barley loaf of bread to completely annihilate 300,000 army in the Midianite camp. Isn't that phenomenal? Gideon needed to learn to operate by God's intelligence because wars are won by superior intelligence, true or not? 
That's why America pays billions of dollars for the CIA and those guys to gather intelligence. Because when you have superior intelligence, you can wage a war. Do you know that the, 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 the Hebrew word for wisdom, Sophia, means this? It means God's intelligence. We can either live by human intelligence or we can live by heaven's intelligence. God's intelligence is always going to be superior. So, so Gideon gathered intelligence. That's why he was threshing wheat in a wine press because he knew the Midianites weren't going to come there. He knew, he gathered intelligence knowing that their army is 300,000. And he gathered all of these intelligence on a human plane. And then God said to him, but Gideon, I want to give you my intelligence because God's intelligence enables us to destroy 300,000 army with a dream of a barley loaf of bread. God's intelligence will empower a young boy, maybe 15, 16 years old, to take a sling and a stone and kill a giant that's been intimidating a nation. God's intelligence will empower a group of Levites to walk around a city for seven days on the seventh time, seven times, seven days, seven times, and begin to praise God, and suddenly fortified city walls that's so big that you can build houses in it collapses completely. God's intelligence tells Peter, you've been toiling all night, you've been catching all night, but just take your nets and cast it on the other side, and you're gonna have a great catch, and they catch so many fish that one boat could not contain it. God's intelligence tells Peter that if I say the word, you can walk on water. God's intelligence says five loaves and two fish are enough to feed 5,000 men, excluding the women and children. God's intelligence, God's intelligence is higher than our intelligence. Amen? You see, because in heaven there's no problems. Have you ever figured Jesus coming to Father and saying, Dad, ish, we've got a problem today? No, that never happens in heaven. Why? Because heaven doesn't have problems. Because heaven has the superior intelligence, the enough wisdom. Because if you have enough wisdom and power, there's no problem you can't fix, right? Have you ever had a problem that felt insurmountable? Then you went to somebody that's a little bit more wise and experienced in the field, and to them it was no problem. They gave you the solution, and there was no problem. That's God. That's heaven. The word problem does not exist in heaven. Only the word opportunity. Any problem that we may face is heaven's opportunity to shine forth the wisdom and the power of God. And so it's time that we as mighty men and mighty women of fearless courage begin to tap into a superior intelligence. Amen. We want to pray. And if you've been challenged this morning, if you've been feeling like you are treading wheat in a wine press, then I want to pray with you. If you've been feeling like you've been dwelling in an unnatural space at home, you've been caving away, then I wanna pray with you. If you've been feeling like your harvest has been plundered, then this prayer is for you. Or if you're saying, I need a breakthrough in my identity, I need to hear Father's voice saying, I'm a mighty man or a mighty woman of fearless courage again. Or maybe you're saying, I, I need to own up certain responsibilities. I have been abdicating my responsibilities and by abdicating, I've given away authority. In my home, I've given away authority in my business, in my workspace. I've given away authority in my ministry. And I wanna pray with you. If you're saying this morning, I, I need 
a breakthrough in vision. I need to begin to see God in my circumstances. Or maybe you're saying today, I need superior intelligence. I need God's wisdom for situations I'm dealing with. And I wanna ask that you stand with me. If any of those things are true, we're gonna pray a corporate prayer. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here. The parakletos, the parakaleo, the one who knows you better than anyone on earth is right here. And that while the enemy is accusing you, Holy Spirit is with you. And he's saying, you're a mighty one of fearless courage. Even if you don't feel like that. Even if you don't see yourself like that. Let's just pray. You can just maybe raise your hands to heaven if you're free to do so and just pray. Say, thank you, Father, that you are with me. And that you are calling the very best out of me today. That you are calling me a mighty one of fearless courage. And whether I feel like that is immaterial. But if you say it, I believe it. And that settles it. And so I'm going to agree with you, Lord. I am a mighty one of fearless courage. And so, Father, here am I. I need a breakthrough in my identity. So I renounce every other voice that suggested a counterfeit identity, an inferior identity. I renounce that identity and I reject that voice, but I embrace your voice because you call out the best out of me. In Jesus' name. Father, help me to own my responsibility. Forgive me for abdicating and so giving away my power and authority. But today, Lord, I want to own up so that I can grow up. Forgive me for every word of complaining. Forgive me for blaming and so giving power away. But I own up so that I can grow up in you. I don't want to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, but I'm going into the promised land. I don't want my words to drive me back into the wilderness because of complaining, but I want my words to unlock my destiny as I begin to agree with what you say. In Jesus' name, help me see that you are right here, right now, in every circumstance, in every situation, every day, you are there. Forgive me, Lord, for often living as if you're not there, as if you're not present, yet you are. And so change my vision, Lord. Change my perception, Lord. So I will see you, recognize you, honor you, and acknowledge you every day, in every way. And finally, Lord, give me your wisdom, your superior intelligence. There's no problems in heaven. I can have no conceivable problem on earth that you do not have the solution for in heaven. So I relinquish my human wisdom in exchange for your intelligence. Thank you, Father, that you are able to turn a loaf of bread into a weapon 
of mass destruction. And so I know that your bread to me, your word to me, is a weapon of mass destruction. I will not live by bread alone, but by the word that proceeds from your mouth, because that is a weapon in my hand and a weapon in my heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, you are saying, I'm a mighty one of fearless courage. And I say amen to that. I say I am a mighty one of fearless courage. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.